0: Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to be reading out of the King James this morning. Luke chapter 24. Now for those of you that may not remember, because I know some of our memories get a little fuzzy, but somewhere off in ancient past, the last time that I was here, we were preaching a series. (laughs) We've had to take a couple week hiatus from that because I was sick, but we were preaching a series called I Know Nothing. You guys remember that? I told you that I began this series out of frustration because people were saying you need to do it this way and you need to do it that way and you need to think about this and you need to plan this way. And it, and it just got so programmed. You know, download your sermon and here's your sermon outline and here's some images for you to put up on the PowerPoint or on the screen as you preach the sermon. And I just asked, where's God at in all of this? Where's God at in all of this? And I said, what happened to the days... When somebody would get in their prayer closet and ask God, what does this people need to hear? What, what do they need to hear? Because they don't need to hear an eloquently crafted teaching. They can get that on YouTube. They don't need to find somebody that's got a great education. They, You can download seminary courses and what have you. What in the body of Christ in the church do the people need to hear? And the thing that came to my mind is Paul's answer to the Corinthians. Remember I told you that when I feel bad, I like to compare myself to the Corinthian church. When I think that I've got problems, I look at them and I look at the incest and the adultery and I look at the heresy and I look at the quarrels and the lawsuits and the squabble over the Lord's Supper and how they've got everything as out of order as you can possibly have and God doesn't give up on them and neither does Paul. So he, I've still got hope. <laughs> but what I find so fascinating is how Paul chooses to deal with them. He doesn't start off and say, you need a doctor, you need a psychiatrist, you need a nutritionist, you need marriage counseling. He doesn't do any of that. He says, when I was among you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's not that I don't know anything. It's that I made a decision, a resolution not to know anything except for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's our resolution here. In this pulpit, it's about Jesus, nothing else. It's about Jesus. And so I said, hey, we're going to do this little journey. We're going to walk from the beginning to the end, and we're going to look at Jesus the whole way, however long it takes us. And so we didn't start at the beginning. We started before the beginning in eternity past. You guys remember that? We talk about the covenant of redemption back before God ever said, let there be light. He said, let there be salvation because the father, the son and the Holy Spirit got together and they had this little meeting and they came together and they made a decision that they were going to provide redemption and atonement for those that would believe on Jesus. Amen. And then we went to creation and we looked at John 1, 1 and how it married mirrored Genesis 1.1 in the beginning God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God and Jesus was there he was there before the beginning and he was there in the beginning and the next time that you see him quote unquote bear with me the next time that you see him you see the name Jesus is at the advent no because there's 39 books in the Old Testament 39 and guess what Jesus is in every one of them Genesis Exodus Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy Joshua Judges Ruth 1st 2nd Samuel 1st 2nd Kings 1st 2nd Chronicles all the way through he's in all of it because every word in this Bible points to Jesus every single word and I could walk through and we could go Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and we could walk through the whole Bible And point out Jesus in every chapter. But I decided that would be a pretty long series. And eventually I would get tired of seeing this pretty graphic that my wife made. It's pretty, but eventually I'd get tired of seeing it. I like seeing new pictures occasionally. So here's what I elected to do. I elected to do one message to cover the 39 books of the Old Testament. Before we get into the Advent. And that message is going to come from Luke 24. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Old Testament. We're going to do it from a New Testament passage. Well, can we do that? Is that allowed? Is that legal? You know, we watched football yesterday, or most of us did. Is that, is, that, is that an illegal procedure, an illegal formation, or can we get away with that? I, I think we can get away with it. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is the Emmaus road, or the Emmaus journey. And I think it's so fitting because we do our little Emmaus walks. And that's a ministry. They have one in Dayton. I'm pretty sure they have one right here around here in Bradley County. We do our Emmaus walks. And it's where people leave normal life and they go to a secluded area to be alone with God. But I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. That's not what the two guys on Emmaus were doing. Let's start in verse 13. I'm getting ahead of myself. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but they saw him not. And he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him not, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Amen. All right. so I've got a main point, okay? I I have a climactic point that we're going to get to that's going to fit with our series. But I'm not going to start with that because as I was reading and studying the passage, I began to realize there's a lot of cool practical stuff in here that may encourage us a little bit. And if it doesn't encourage you, I don't care because it encouraged me, and I'm going to share it with you. So... (laughs) You can laugh. That was a joke. I'm not serious. I actually do care that the message encourages you and exhorts you, okay? Don't be so serious, okay? (laughs) All right. Here's the bottom line. As I said, we have our Emmaus walks, our ministries, and people will leave life and they'll go to a secluded area to be alone with God and the Word and to meet Jesus, right? That's not what they were doing. Cleopas and the other disciple, they had quit, They had quit the ministry. They had done like another disciple. Maybe you've heard of him, Peter. You know, he had quit the ministry and he had went back to his old career fishing. That's why when Jesus says, go tell my disciples, he says, tell my disciples and Peter. Because Peter wasn't counted among the disciples anymore. He had quit. He had gave up. He had walked away because he felt like he had wronged the Lord. He felt like he wasn't worthy of the ministry. And he didn't know if things were going to turn out the way that he had hoped that they were going to turn out. We have our images of Peter, but I like him because he's an idiot and he messes up a lot. That's kind of like me. I'm an idiot and I mess up a lot. Peter does the same thing, and God still chooses to use him. So if you're an idiot and you mess up a lot, there's still hope. Like, that's encouraging. Say amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because we're all idiots, okay? Look, nobody is Jesus. Nobody's a the sum total of wisdom and knowledge. We're all dumb. We all make mistakes, and we all fall short of the glory, and God still chooses to use us. That's encouraging. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. But the great thing about this is they had quit. They were probably going to Emmaus to look for work or maybe that's where they were from or maybe the situation in Jerusalem was getting a little too spicy for them and they were like, "Ah, persecution, people are getting killed and arrested. I don't want to be there. I'm going to I'm going to kind of head out of town and take a break, go to a safe space over here." You want to know how I know? Because they were sad, they were downtrodden, they were venting. They were telling him, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They had given up. The text tells you that. All the clues throughout the passage tell you they had quit the ministry and given up. And guess what? That's when Jesus chooses to walk up. They, didn't. they were not in a position deserving the presence of Jesus. They were not in a position deserving an encounter with God. And that's what they got, was an encounter with God. I am so thankful that God doesn't wait for me to be in a position where I deserve to experience Him for Him to show up in my mess. My life is like a dumpster fire floating down a river of a town that's flooded sometimes and that's when Jesus chooses to show up. Y'all must have a lot better and a lot smoother of a life than I do. Because y'all are awfully quiet. That went over like a herd of turtles. You don't have to be in the right spot for Jesus to show up and you have an encounter and a conversation with Him. You can be in a mess. You can be on the verge of quitting or have already laid down your disciple robes, quote unquote, and Jesus will still show up. That's good news. Because if you had to deserve an experience with Jesus, you'd never get one. Because just like I read out of the Valley of Vision before we started service, you can't have enough weeping, enough crying, enough praying, enough fasting, enough studying to ever warrant or merit or earn an experience with the presence of the Divine God. You cannot do it. It's unearnable. unmeritable. You'll never deserve it but He doesn't wait for you to deserve it. You can be headed the exact wrong way. Look, let's go, let's go prophetically for a second. Emmaus is to the west of Jerusalem, right? The west represents an old thing. The sun sets in the west. That's the end of a day. It represents an old thing. They were headed back to something old. If you want to go even more prophetically, it's on the opposite side of Jerusalem as the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus is supposed to come back They were moving away from Jesus in more ways than one. And he still shows up and still chooses to walk with them and talk with them. And the best part about it is they don't even recognize him. They don't even recognize him. You know how terrible is it that sometimes God shows up and is operating in our life at the same time we're whining and complaining that God isn't there? I mean, here they are, they're having this conversation, and I can only imagine. They're probably saying things, to, why did we fail? Why did we let the Messiah get killed? And then the other one's like, dummy, if he was the Messiah, he couldn't have got killed because the Messiah is supposed to overthrow Roman oppression. And the other one's like, well, if he wasn't the Messiah, how could he do those wonderful works from God like he did? Was he just another prophet? Well, maybe, but if he was a prophet, what did he say that we need to write down? Because don't they write down the words that prophets say? They're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, venting, frustrated. Y'all know what venting is. You get on the phone and you call somebody and you tell them about all your life's problems and then they start to give you some logic and some reason and you're like, hey God, I don't want that. I just want you to listen. (laughs) Every husband in the room knows what that is. (laughs) Oh, come on, come on. I cannot tell you how many times. It's happened like maybe once. She's an angel. <laughs> I'm trying to save some of these brownie points. But but they come to you, your friend or your spouse or your sibling or whatever. They come to you and they have all these problems. And they're just laying them out one problem after another. And they're just frustrated and they're venting and they're complaining and they're whining. And you start to say, well, you know, if you have you thought about this? And like, ah! huh. I'm not, let me finish. And you're like, well, what about this? And you're like, you don't know how bad it is. That would make sense in every other situation but this one. It's okay to vent. It's okay to vent. Sometimes you just need to get it off your chest because that weight will kill you. It's really a good idea to vent to God because, you know, the Bible says somewhere, First Peter, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's really who you should vent to, but sometimes you like somebody else that's going to be ride or die and get in your corner with you and start complaining too. (laughs) I've gotten to the point, listen, this is terrible, but I've gotten to the point now where if something irritates my wife, if anything upsets her, which is really hard to do. She's so slow to anger. But if if anything upsets her or anyone gets on her nerves, I'm like, I can't believe them. They're so terrible. (laughs) I don't even know going on. I'm like, I'm mad at him too. (laughs) I'm just gonna be ride or die. I don't even know what's going on. Go, I'm mad at them too. (laughs) Because that's what you want when you're venting. You just want somebody to be upset with you. You want someone to feel the same pain and the frustration that you feel. And that's what they're doing. That's why they didn't go by themselves. Two of them. They're just down. See who can go the furthest the fastest. They're venting to one another and Jesus walks up in the midst and he puts up with it. Like he keeps walking with them. I'm like, good Lord, if I'd have been walking with them and they'd have been that downtrodden and sad and venting and complaining, I'd have just turned around and walked off. You know, because the things they're talking about are him. And we get in our mess and we're going through a circumstance or a difficult situation and we're like, God, where are you at? Aren't you merciful? Aren't you graceful? Aren't you supposed to be faithful? Where's my healing? Where's my deliverance? Where's my provision? I think about Moses. When he goes to deliver the children of Israel, the children of Israel from Egypt. You know what he says? Blows my mind. He says, Lord, XYZ has happened, and you haven't delivered one person. You haven't delivered them at all. And I'm like, dang, son, you got some some spunk. <laughs> but he does. He he calls God out and he says, Why have you delivered anybody? Aren't you supposed to be doing something here? And God is setting the stage because he has a mission that he wants to accomplish. He doesn't want to just deliver the children of Israel. He wants to embarrass the Egyptian gods while he's doing it. And we're in our mess and we're like, Lord, I'm tired. Where, where's my regeneration? Where's my re- refreshing that's supposed to come from you? Or It's like, Lord, I'm sick and I'm sick of being sick. Where's my healing that you're supposed to give me? Or, I'm tired of this bondage or this situation or these chains. Where's my deliverance that you're supposed to bring? I'm tired of this turmoil. Where's the peace? Where's the rest? Where are you at, God? And we sit there and we get down on our hands and knees and we whine and we complain in frustration and we don't realize that Jesus is right there with us. He's with them while they're complaining that He's not there. Do you get that picture? they don't know that it's jesus until the whole shebang is over and done with and sometimes we feel like god isn't there until the whole situation's over and done with and then we look back and we're like oh he's been there the whole time how many times you look back over your life and be like i didn't think he was there the man he listen when i was on drugs and I was addicted. There's one image that always stands out in my mind. I took way too much medication. And I was dying. I had overdosed. And I was in a shower for like six hours. Dying. And in the moment, I didn't know that God was there. But I look back to that and I'm like, that's the only thing that kept me alive was God. Because he was, one day, he's not going to be in the fetal position in a shower dying. One day he's going to be standing by on a pulpit pit preaching the gospel. I didn't know that. But think about, think about your own life. Think about every single time that you have been isolated or felt like you were alone. You weren't. God was there. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what whispers the enemy tries to put in your ear. God is there. He is present. One of my favorite illustrations um, or anecdotes outside of Scripture is this. There's an atheist, and he's, he's laboring, and he's trying to disprove the existence of God. And he writes on this paper in frustration, he says, God is nowhere. And his little daughter walks in and she reads it and she says, God is now here. <laughs> you can't get away from Him. He's always there. He is always there. He is always present. Even when we don't see Him. And he he finally just asks. Because sometimes God has to get in our mess and l- shift our perspective a little bit. He finally just asks. He says, why are you so upset? Why are you sad? Why are you talking this way? And they think he's got the one with the problem. <laughs> have you ever thought God has the problem? I mean, be honest. Set your halo off and say like, God, what are you doing here? This don't make sense to me. Listen, I ask myself that all the time. I, I'm just going to be honest. I'll be transparent. If you don't want to be, that's okay. But I'll be transparent. And I have read this Bible Not just in my own life, but I've read this Bible and I'm like, God, that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I don't understand why you did that that way. You don't believe me? Okay, then after church, I want you to come up here and explain to me when God said, let Saul deal with the Amalekites, I want you to kill every man, woman, and child, and every beast. and Burn everything they got. I want you to come explain to me how that makes sense with an omnibenevolent God, or an all good God. Because the truth is, is I still don't know how to reconcile stuff like that. But He's God. And I know who He is, and I know what it says about Him. And I know who He's proven Himself to be. So even though there's some things I don't understand, I chalked that one up to, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than mine, and His thoughts higher than mine. If there's some things about God that you don't understand, or if there are not things about God that you don't understand, then you don't know enough about God yet. But he has to do a little perspective shift on him, and say, "Foolish of heart and slow to believe." And I love the way that he talks to him like that, because that's how God talks to me. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I use some crass words. People make fun of my pulpit etiquette sometimes because I I called myself an idiot, and you know said that the m- entirety of humanity is idiot or are idiots. So people make fun of my my pulpit etiquette sometimes but this is how god deals with me he says oh foolish of heart slow to believe that's that's a fancy way of saying hey idiots (laughs) i mean (laughs) like don't you know that this is what the bible said about the messiah hang on hang on i need to back up a second i skipped something i'm gonna blame that on on covid fog but i skipped something in the midst of this passage there's something that just blows my mind, and it's so subtle that you, you almost read right over it. It says, one of the disciples say, and this is the third day since these things happened. The third day. This is the day that Jesus got up from the grave. This is the day that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. This is the day that he appears later on to the disciples in the upper room. This is the day that he says, Mary, you can't touch me because I've got to ascend to heaven. This is the day he took his blood and put it on the heavenly mercy seat to pay for all sin for all time. This is the third day. This is that day. And he takes his time out of his busy day to appear to two wayward disciples. That means they were a priority to him. Man, that's so good. They were a priority to him. They were enough of a priority to him that in the midst of all this stuff that has to be done, and he has to make his appearance known, he has to sprinkle his blood on the heavenly mercy seat, and all this stuff that has to be done, he takes his time to leave the 99 to go after not the 1, in this case the 2, to go meet with these disciples. That's good. They were a priority to him. They didn't deserve it. They didn't recognize Him. Their whole perspective was flawed. They were actually downgrading and downplaying who He was and had given up and quit the ministry, and that's when He made them a priority. But you know what? He's omniscient. So He knew that they were going to quit before He ever went to the cross. And when He was in the grave and in the belly of the earth and rose from the dead, He It on his mind, okay, after I appear to Mary Magdalene and go sprinkle my blood here, before I make it to the disciples, I've got to section out this couple of hours. Because it's not just a few minutes. He walks with them till evening. And he sections out this huge block of time because they were a priority. You are a priority to God. That's so good. You are a priority to the God of the heaven and the earth. You're a priority. Faith always says that our best interests are God's top of mind. You're a priority. You're a priority. Now let's move on. So, he says foolish of heart and slow to believe. And then he takes the time and he unfolds the Scriptures. starts at Moses and he unfolds the entirety of the Old Testament. Because this is before any of the Gospels were written. This is before the epistles were written. This is before the closing of the canon. They had the 39 books of the Old Testament. And he says when he starts at Moses and all the prophets, that's what it means. That what they recognized as canon at that time, he unfolds it all to them. And all speaks to himself. You know, I've heard some people do some fancy things and they'll say in Genesis you know he's the ram in the bush of Abraham and in Exodus you know he's the deliverer and (laughs) in Leviticus he's the fulfillment of the law and then you know and they'll go all the way through but I don't think that Jesus just left it that simple I think that he went slow and he showed them in the beginning God and there was the word and then I think he went on and he, he showed them how the ark was a picture of salvation and them being held from the storm and from judgment and in the safety and security of that vessel. And I think he talked to him about the three strangers that came to Abraham. And I think he talked to him about the ram in the bush of Abraham. shore and the Abraham, God would provide himself a lamb. And I think that he talked about Jacob's ladder and I think he talked about the allegorical symboliz- symbolism when um jacob pretended to be esau you know by taking the goat which is the atoning day sacrifice and putting it on so that when he touched him he felt the atonement i think he probably talked about joseph in his coat of many colors how the rainbow is the promise and that the sons they dipped the rainbow the promise in blood and took it back to the father to verify the son's identity He probably went through and talked about Moses and the prophet and the great deliverance and he probably went through the law and showed each sacrifice whether it's transgressing or peace or sin offering and showed how it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How on the atoning day sacrifice they had the two goats and one was released and one was killed and how he and Barabbas stood and Barabbas was released and he was executed. He probably talked about Moses and the bronze serpent and how the serpent was a curse and it was biting and poisoning them and God commanded Moses to take the curse and put it up on a tree and hold it up and everyone that looked on the curse find their salvation or their healing and that Jesus became the curse and he was put up on a tree and everybody that looked at him found their healing. He probably went through Ruth and talked about the kinsman redeemer and he went through First and Second Samuel and talked about the prophet whose words never fell to the ground and David having a heart after God and how the five stones represent grace and how God uses something that is seemingly inconsequential to destroy that which held the captivity and bondage. I mean, on and on and on, Jonah. Fish three days and three nights, Daniel in the lion's den, the three men that were thrown in the fire and the fourth one that was with him. I mean, you can go through the entire Old Testament and there is not a single place you won't find Jesus. There are 66 books, 66 books in this Bible. There are over 11,000 chapters. There are over 31,000 words 31,000 verses i'm sorry 31,000 verses There are over almost 800,000 words and there's three and a half million characters or letters periods punctuation three and a half million so i'm going to tell you that book that you have in your hand three and a half million reasons to praise god three and a half million reasons to praise god every one of them point to jesus Three and a half million arrows, pointing straight to the Son of God. And that's what he does. He takes and he walks them through all of it. And here's what baffles me. Now I'm going to get real, and we're going to we're going gonna, as if I haven't been real this whole time. But we're going to have a real talk this morning. Can we do that? Real talk. They had quit the ministry. In Jerusalem. And they had a destination. Emmaus. And on the way. They encountered Jesus. Let's do this. I don't know what I'm doing. So bear with me. Jerusalem. Emmaus. Right? Jerusalem. Emmaus. And so they're quitting the ministry in Jerusalem. And they're walking on the way to Emmaus. And somewhere in the middle. Right around here. They meet Jesus. They have an experience with Jesus. They encounter the presence of the living God. Here's what blows my mind. Experiencing Jesus. Even if they don't know, they feel it. They reveal that later. Even if they don't know it, 100, they feel it. Experiencing the presence of the living God. And they get to Emmaus. And Jesus makes like He's going further. And they stop. Because this was their destination. This was their plan. This was their dream. This was their aspiration. They had quit the ministry in Jerusalem and they're coming to Emmaus and Jesus makes like He's going to go further. And instead of going with Jesus, they do this. They, come on Jesus, let's... We want you here. Because this is where we want to be. We have dreams and aspirations and ambitions and things in ministry that we want to get to. A certain church size, a certain number in the bank account, a certain look of our building, a certain idea, philosophy, whatever you want. We, we have it here. We want to do this. And even if we meet Jesus somewhere in our way, our destination to get here, somewhere along the way to our destination to get here, Instead of letting Jesus take us further than we ever thought we could go, we grab him and we pull him back because we say, no, this is where we felt comfortable. This is where we wanted to be. This is where we had hoped to get. I read a book, one of my favorite books is a book called Hero Maker. It's written by a guy named Dave Ferguson. And a lot of the book is in but one part in it makes it my favorite. And this part, he says that he was meeting. This legend in ministry. I don't know if the guy's a legend or not, but anyway, he was meeting this guy, and he sat down with him, and the guy looked at him and said, You know, Dave, you know what your biggest problem is? He's like, Well, I thought this was gonna be a good one. Like you you know what your biggest problem is? Your biggest problem is that my dream for your church is bigger than your dream for your church. That's your biggest problem. Your dream's not big enough. Your goal, your ambition, your destination, it's not big enough. It's too confined. It's too attainable. The problem in ministry, and when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about being a pastor. I believe in the priesthood of every believer. You have a ministry. And as long as you draw breath, you are a ministry. And God has a purpose. It doesn't matter how old you are. Or how young you are. There's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no senior Holy Spirit. You have a destiny and a purpose. And if God hasn't taken that last breath. And came and got you. And taken you to His presence and glory. Then you still have things He wants you to accomplish. God don't waste breath on anyone. But what we do. Is we make our dreams or our ambitions something we can attain. Without God, they could walk to Emmaus. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly possible. We make our ministry to where. I want this is this is rational. This is a reasonable expectation. That's where I'm going to get. But if your dream is something you can accomplish without God, then it's not a God dream. God didn't put that there. God doesn't put something in you that you can do without Him. That's not the way He works. If He gives you a dream or a vision or a goal or an aspiration, He put it there and it requires Him to get you there. David thinking he was going to be king and he's a shepherd boy of an inconsequential family in Bethlehem. You think he could have became king without God? You think Daniel could have made it to where he was going to be without God and become ruler of provinces and princes? You think Nehemiah could have done what he did without God? You think Esther could have done what she did without God? Show me one person in Scripture that could accomplish what they did and what God's purpose was for their life without God helping them do it. You can't. You can't. Moses is going to deliver Israel without God? God doesn't put dreams in your mind and in your heart that you can attain without Him. Everything God puts there requires Him to get you there. But here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing. We leave Jerusalem to come to Emmaus because we like this position. This is our preference. And we're unwilling to follow the presence when it takes us outside of our position and our preference. I have a saying. It's one of my core values, mind and face core values for the way we do ministry. And it's I desire God's presence, not my preference or not my position. I desire his presence. See, if, if it's me, and I don't know because I'm not in the Emmaus account, but if it's me and I'm walking with jesus or let's not even say they don't know it's jesus so let's not give them let's not judge them on an unfair criteria i'm walking with somebody who I've never met before, but is so in tune with the Spirit of the living God and has such an anointing that they can unfold every letter in that Bible to show me the true interpretation and reveal the presence of God to where I feel it in the very core of my being and I happen to get to my destination, there is no way on God's beautiful green earth I'm stopping when they're going. I'm staying with them. Because God's gracious, and here's what He does. He lets them drag Him to their position, to their preference, but only for a moment. And then He's gone. They have the position and the preference, but they no longer have the presence. And then they have two options. Two options. They can stay in the position, and they can stay in the preference, or they can go after the presence but now they don't know where he's at now they've got to do some searching so what do they do gotta commend him for this they go back to the ministry they go back they don't wait till morning they say "No, no 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 we just encountered Jesus we just encountered the living God. We can't wait till tomorrow. We got to get up right now and get back to it. I don't care if it's midnight or 2 a.m. or whatever. I'm going back after ministry because that's what an encounter with the living God does, is it says, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Have you guys ever been woke up in the middle of the night and went to God and had such an unbelievable experience? You're like, I gotta call somebody, and you look around and it's like 3.40 in the morning. It's like who the heck am I gonna call? <laughs> I don't know, I'm waking somebody up. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? I just experienced God. They're like, go back to sleep, please. But that's what an experience with God does. Is it puts a fire in you. Jeremiah said, i got a fire shut up in my bones. I've got to do something. I've got to get after God. And so they jump and they go. And I imagine they ran all the way back to Jerusalem. Like, we got, we got to get back. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't just pick it up and call Peter. Hey, Peter, what's up, man? Like I got to get back. I got to get back right now. And you know what's so beautiful about that is it says in the pa- passage following they get back everything that happened, and it says while they were yet still speaking, Jesus shows up because they they went they left their preference and they went back to the ministry. And guess what? That's where the presence was. That's where the presence was. A couple more things and then we'll, I don't know, we'll do something. (laughs) I love verse 32. Two things I want to point out. Verse 32. They ask themselves before they make the decision to go back. They say, didn't our heart burn within us? When he opened up the scriptures to us. You know, I never thought about this until about a year, oh, it was maybe a little more than a year, two or three years after I started ministering. I was when I started preaching, I never had anybody teach me how to preach. I just started preaching, and I only ever saw one purpose in preaching, and that was to show Jesus. I only ever saw one purpose. And unfortunately, if you go to schools that teach you how to preach, they might try to teach you out of that. Like, no, that's not really, how you're supposed to preach? You need to dissect the text and pull the word out and do your words. That stuff's well and good, but if somebody tells you, opens up the Bible and tries to reveal something to you other than Jesus, close your ears. As I talked about on Wednesday night in our study of Revelation, there is only one goal for Revelation, the book of Revelation general revelation, special revelation or biblical revelation in general, there is only one goal of revelation and it's to reveal Jesus Christ. It's an unveiling of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. So when we hold up the word of God, it is a written account revealing the person that is the word of God. That's the entire point. That's focus the fixation revelation is jesus it's the revelation of jesus it's the revelation about jesus it's the revelation that belongs to jesus and it is the revelation which is jesus so i i preach jesus but about a year and a half to two years after i started ministering i was having a conversation with face dad and he was talking to me and he said you know i I like I like the way you preach. I was like, okay, what about it? I wasn't that good of a preacher. I just started. <laughs> I was like, okay, what about it? You're lying. Tell me. Why. <laughs> but he was. He said you only preach Jesus. I was like, what else is there to preach? But you only preach Jesus, which he only ever preaches Jesus. But that's why he was saying this. He said, have you ever noticed? And he pointed this out to me. He, he said, do you ever notice? How your heart catches fire when someone reveals Jesus to you in the Scripture, and he gave me an example. And the example he gave me in our conversation was the, um, oh goodness gracious love, the Good Samaritan. That was the example he gave me. The Good Samaritan. He said, "You have this man who's beaten and mugged and left for dead." And he said that that represents us. We're dying. We're left for dead. We're as good as dead. And he said. And the priesthood can't do anything for us. And the law can't do anything for us. And he said, but then this half-breed comes along. And he said, that represents Jesus because he's fully God and fully man, truly God, truly man. He comes along and he picks us up. But what he picks us up and he puts us on a donkey, which is a beast of burden, which represents his works. And by his works, he takes us to a place of rest and healing. And as he unfolded that, My heart burned. Not heart burn. My heart burned in a good way. Kind of like when we were talking earlier and I was showing you examples throughout the Old Testament. Do you notice that your heart burns when you begin to hear the revelation of Jesus in Scripture? When someone begins to unfold the Scriptures to show you Jesus, there's a fire that begins to burn inside you. It's a resonance. The Spirit that is in you bears witness with the Spirit that is being ministered out. And a fire. It's like rubbing flint together to start a fire. A fire begins to take place because that's the point of it all. You want revival fire to spread? Start talking about Jesus. Because that's how it spreads. One fire burns to another fire burns to another fire to another fire to another fire. And as long as there's hearts that can catch a blaze, the fire won't stop spreading. But the moment someone changes it and starts talking about anything other than Jesus, it goes out. It's all about Jesus. Three and a half million characters. All about Jesus. Now, I'll move on to my next point. It says he opened the scriptures. Before that, it said he opened their eyes. And later on in the next passage, when it says that he opened their hearts to receive. When you think about opening, it's kind of like opening a door. It's a port. That's why in Spanish it's porte. It's a door. Like a portal you go through. Things can come in. Things can go out. You don't usually, when you read somebody a book or you explain something, you don't usually call it opening the book to them. You usually say, like, interpreting it or explaining it or, you know, reading it, whatever. My wife teaches homeschool. I've never once, she, she re explains something in a dictionary. I've never once heard her say, I opened the meaning of the encyclopedia to them. So why is that language used here? Is it just because it's Old English? Maybe. Or it could be that there is a door that we put over our hearts that we close and we open. You know, we close off our hearts sometimes and we don't let things affect us or we open our hearts up and pour ourselves out to somebody. But the same is true of Scripture. And what God is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit here is He is opening up the Scriptures To kind of like dump out the truth. And he is opening up their eyes and their hearts. Enabling them to receive the truth. And guess what? The truth is a definite article. It's a person. It's Jesus. So here's my prayer. This is how I want to end this. Here's my prayer. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over our congregation. Just quick. I'm going to pray that today and every day for the rest of your life, that you open your heart and God opens the Scriptures. And every time you open this Bible, you can't help but see Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that you would do a sovereign work in this congregation. I pray that you would open up the hearts and the minds and the eyes of every single person in this place. And every person that may not be in this physical building but may hear this or listen to this message or watch it later on, I pray that you would open their hearts and their minds and their eyes. And then I pray that you would simultaneously open the Scriptures so that every time that they lay their Bible open, every time they read or listen to it on audio or even meditate on it in their heart or mind, that they are overwhelmed by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I pray that as a church, our hearts would burn with the fire of Jesus. And that that would be a motivation that would encourage us to get up and to get involved and to get after ministry. And to seek your presence, not our preference. That we wouldn't be concerned about position. We wouldn't be concerned about preferences. We wouldn't be concerned about our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations. But we would pour it all out for your presence. Because everything is about you. It was made by you and for you. And through you it exists. And we give you all the glory. Jesus, be lifted high in our congregation. And let us be excited about you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed. I hope that you have a great afternoon.